Hello, and welcome to the Real Estate Investors Lounge. Join us as we cover a multitude of real estate-related topics with some of the brightest and most experienced minds in the industry. Our goal with The Real Podcast is to provide information, strategies, and insight on how to navigate the current and upcoming Canadian market. We use the experiences, knowledge, and the expertise of our guests and professionals in the field and offer it all back to you, the listener. We hope you enjoy the show. Be sure to check out our website at www.reilounge.ca. We're your hosts, Brian Fitzgerald, Erica Spencer, and Jay Shaw. Okay, hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the Real Estate Investors Lounge. My name is Brian Fitzgerald. I'm here with Jay Shaw and Erica Spencer is likely abroad on assignment, but nobody's found her. Where in the world is Eric Spencer? Anyways, on this episode, we are sitting down with JD and Wendy Singh and we just spent the last five minutes sorting out what these guys do and to me, it seems like they do everything. So before I insult them too much and try and steal any of their thunder, uh, we're going to get them on here right away. And uh, JD and Wendy, thank you so much, guys, for being on here. I know you guys are busy guys because we just established the you know 30 things you do on an average day. Um, but maybe you can start off by uh, telling us a little bit about yourselves and uh, your background and what you guys are doing. Awesome. Thanks for having us on this podcast. I'm going to let JD go first. Okay. Uh, what do we do? I, you know, when people ask me that question, I usually try to dodge it because it's not a simple answer. Uh, you know, Wendy and I are business owners, I guess, ultimately, uh, you know, that's the easy, short, fast answer. But uh, we do have a, you know, a handful of businesses in the real estate uh, field. Our backgrounds are completely different from what we do today. Uh, myself, I pretty much worked in retail as a, like growing up in my like twenties and, you know, worked through a, a telco corporation and, uh, you know, really enjoyed that. But during that time, you know, we started buying real estate. So today we have a, you know, a pretty decent sized real estate portfolio. Uh, we're, we're in the mortgage business. We have a, a mortgage team and an active mortgage business. Uh, we also just recently launched a lending company with a, a partner uh, and so primarily just in the mortgage space. Uh, we're doing a little bit more on the lending side uh, there. There's a couple of uh, new products that we're looking into. Wendy, I'll let you talk about a little bit of what you do. Yeah, well, my background uh, is in food and nutrition. Uh, I was along the pathway to becoming a dietitian when JD and I got married and bought our primary residence, realizing that I could not do a free working internship for a year. So I had a mortgage to pay. So I didn't end up pursuing the dietitian's role, uh, ended up in, in food and nutrition at a long-term care facility, now more in the role of operations manager, but I've been cutting down my hours as our other businesses have taken off. And um, uh, I just recently got my real estate license. And with our, our companies, I'm pretty much managing a lot of the, the back end stuff keeping everything running and organized as much as I possibly can with the amount of corporations we have now. Um, I have a vending machine business. I, yeah, we're pretty much always doing uh, business related stuff. We're not really afraid to take on anything new that looks exciting and profitable. And, and, uh, and the biggest thing I think that we strive for is something that will also create a lifestyle so we can take whatever we do along with us, wherever we go. Wow. I'm glad you did that intro, uh, Wendy and JD, because I don't think we would have uh, done it justice there talking about uh, everything you did. So it sounds like you're into a bunch of different things. Um, you know, I think uh, we met uh, a couple years ago just in terms of kind of uh, our ventures in terms of real estate and real estate investing. So why don't you guys talk a little bit about kind of how you got involved in real estate and real estate investing? Because You've come from different careers, and you've both kind of uh, moved into uh, careers full-time in real estate. Talk to us a little bit about what made you want to start investing in real estate. Okay. You know, I don't know if there's like a, a single pinpoint answer, because often in interviews or questions, this question comes up, and I, I often think about it. Yeah, well, something that I think is really interesting is that both of our parents 
in some shape or form invested in real estate. So Wendy's uh, family, they, they had bought real estate and they had formed like a company amongst their friends. And I remember my parents, when I was little, we'd rent out our basement or have like separate units uh, where people rented out. So I think it was something, you know, possibly that we were comfortable with and that we were exposed to at a young age. So it just seemed normal. And then when I look, as I got into my teenage years, going to like, uh, like West Whitney seminars or like, uh, you know, back then there was a couple of other guys in the field that, you know, ran real estate investment clubs and getting involved with them and learning about it. Or, you know, it, was it our first purchase? And I really think it, maybe it was, I think it was more that we had a dream to like, you know, just look for more in our life. Cause we did, we did try other businesses like network marketing, which was really great for us. And I think we just wanted more out of our lives and real, real estate was a vehicle that just really fit for us because ultimately I think when I go back to us being fairly young getting started we just really wanted to go camping and spend time at a lake <laughs> and you know what was the best way to get the most amount of money and the most efficient way to do it and I think business and then we eventually landed in real estate yeah I can't remember because Jay and I have been together for, for quite a few years we, we met each other in high school and um you know, I was more along the path of the scholar, you know, going to school, straight A student. JD was more of the, I'm going to think outside of the box and do things that make sense because I want to be a millionaire and, and, you know, not to put any profession down, but most likely the people that are teaching me in, in school are not millionaires. So um, I remember him getting CDs about how to invest in stocks and, and he was always the, the, let's figure out how to make money. And, you know, he did dabble a bit in stocks. And, uh, and that, but real estate seemed to be the one that, you know, it can provide a lot of different things that we were looking for. It's very cool. Obviously, you guys had a lot of exposure with your families being kind of in that market and, and really cool with JD always kind of like looking at the next best way to kind of get his finger in some pots and make some money just so you guys can go camping more often. I mean, that's a very noble thought. I like it. But what would you say, how did you actually get started? Like, what was the, the, the kind of aha moment or the trigger point? Like, this is the way we need to go um, for us to create the lifestyle that we're hoping to get. Like, what made you actually get started? I, I still think it goes back to the mindset part. Because uh, we had really focused a lot on in the network marketing and uh, like the, like in the Amway business. And that really, like, set the pace and, and tone for looking for financial freedom and looking for a, a way to uh, create uh, an income. And the way we actually got into real estate, it's a really, you know, it was an unfortunate story, but it is a part of our story. Um, so later in life, I, I guess my mom had become a single parent. Uh, and one day we, sh Wendy and I were dating and I would say my mom wasn't aware of how, things like mortgages that like financial her financial IQ wasn't probably where it was when she was with my dad that we Wendy and I had come home one day and there was a notice on our door on my door that said I had to move out in five days uh, so basically what had happened is there was some unpaid taxes that had gone on you know just that didn't get paid and uh, so we had five days to resolve this issue and I guess we were just launched into that was the first property that we bought. So we ended up buying that property from my mom with the, like a sheriff's notice on the door. And then from there, uh, because at that point we were saving to get married. So we had put some like uh, money together and we, you know, we bought that property. And then from there we, we were fortunate that the property was in Mississauga, the type of market upswings that we saw. And then we just uh, refied and sold and moved the, the money around into different places and buying more property and buying and starting to lend out money. And so we were doing that at like, I think it's about 15 years ago now. Yeah. So I don't think, uh, I don't know if that helps with like how we got started, but in terms of like, like, or sorry, the why, but the, it just really just, you know, we got forced into it and then we just picked it up from there. No, I think that answers it perfectly. Yeah. 
So, JD, Wendy, talk to us a little bit about kind of um, you know some of the some of the properties that you're investing in. I know you've got uh, you know a, a pretty uh, you know a number of properties. But where where was your first property? Where did you choose to invest, in, and uh, and what did that look like? Well, the first property, very 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 first property, was JD's uh, JD's mom's property, which was in Mississauga, in the Clarkson area, um, and then. Then we actually bought this house that we our primary residence, which has uh, two basement apartments, and they're they're the legal they were legal grandfathered in suites. Um, and then after that, I guess it was Hamilton and Kitchener. Yeah. So those are the those are the first areas, and then from there we ventured into St. Catharines quite a few years ago when our um, I don't even know when <laughs> probably like eight ten years ago uh, we were in St. Catharines and. Hamilton, Niagara, Welland, Winnipeg, don't ask. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Oshawa. Oshawa. So, really the Golden Horseshoe area with that outlier in Winnipeg. <laughs> yeah. Southern Ontario and Winnipeg. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> and you, Sorry, you said you were into Hamilton and St. Catharines about eight years ago? Yes. So, yeah. 2000, wow. That's, uh, you, you guys are laughing now. A lot, yeah. of, a lot has changed in those areas for sure. Um, so obviously you guys are touching upon, uh, well, for lack of a better term, Southern Ontario for where you're tapping into aside from Winnipeg, but we won't ask about that. Um, but what were the <laughs> external factors that you looked at that helped you choose these areas? Like why, why Mississauga, why Hamilton, why Kitchener, why St. Catharines? Was there anything that really drew to you to those areas? I think proximity to where we live, we live in Mississauga. So starting local and then uh, going like anywhere east was just more expensive in terms of investing. East of Mississauga would be in Etobicoke and going west at that point, you know, uh, there was affordability. And as we moved to St. Catharines, it became just a ratio scenario. Like we were working with a broker, uh, we had a you know, the properties in Hamilton and Kitchener. And she, she had advised us that, hey, uh, like, you know, we learned how TBS and GDS was calculated. And she had mentioned that, you know, if you buy this property, another property or two, like the ones that you have based on where we're sitting, we're eventually, you know, based on the bank's formula, you're going to eventually get stuck. If you head out into the Niagara region, you're going to get a little bit more bang for your buck. And so we started looking at that just to work through the ratios and when we were originally in, investing in the Niagara region at that point, we were just going there to balance out our ratio so we could come back um, to like Hamilton so we could buy two there and come back one here and uh, just to keep the, the continual buying going. Awesome. That's amazing. So what types of uh, properties are you looking at investing in? Are you investing in single-family homes? Are you looking at legal duplexes? What's the, what's the typical uh, type of uh, properties that you guys are investing in? I, I'd say small, small MERS. Like, uh, I, I like the one to four units, but we have you know a couple of five-plexes. We've got a couple of small buildings, 15, 14 units. Uh, we, 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 we stay prom- uh, predominantly in the residential space. Uh, right now, we do have a, a nine-unit like commercial building with three on the bottom, but we're converting those to residential units as well. So we we like the the multi-res, and uh, I, I find myself being attracted back to the single-family home lately too. Very cool. Do you do you have do you manage these properties yourself, or is that one of your corporations technically? <laughs> Not at all. Wow. We do have a property manager, management company that we, we that has primarily everything. We manage a couple of them on our own. Like, we obviously have like our own primary residence. I can manage the two units here. We rent out our cottage, too. So that's done through Airbnb. We manage that. Um, and But we, yeah, all the, all the bills we manage. <laughs> that, that, yeah, that's crazy. I, I manage. Like, yeah, I was going to say, that's... That's a, that's pretty intense. You should be cloning yourself probably anytime soon. Um, yeah. So obviously we talked about affordability, um, and and which was really neat is is your your ratios that you were talking about and what drew you, uh, your ratios in 
what markets they uh, what markets they kind of drew you to. But what characteristics are important to you? I mean, obviously you talked about multi units and you said you're kind of being more attracted to single family, but what characteristics are, are most important to you in a property from your uh, from your criteria? Over the course of time, that's changed depending on what stage of, and what we were trying to accomplish. Because I, I think being around real estate for 15 years, there was different things that we were trying to accomplish at different times. There was times we were looking at cash flow and times we were looking at like overall growth and in the portfolio just from a, from an appreciation standpoint. So we've looked and balanced and changed like it would just depend on like whatever stage of the business we were at. Um, you know, there was a time where I wouldn't have bought a single family cause I was a yield chaser and I was going for ROI. And today I might look for a single family home because simplicity, easy to manage and, you know, easy to liquidate or, uh, just in terms of like store value. Right. Uh, I find like today I'm more likely to buy a, a, a property with a lower cash flow than um, I was maybe a few years ago. And that, you know, those things change because of, you know, income in your household changes. If you don't need to chase cash flow to balance out maybe some of the maintenance on the portfolio, you know, you can look at different things. Yeah, for sure. And do you find you're that maybe more attracted to the single families now because they're a little less maintenance too than these multi-units? Absolutely. That's definitely one uh, piece. And I think uh, just in terms of like, like uh, if I, I, I almost go back now to buying a house in Mississauga where it might not cash flow as much, but maybe I'm just storing the value there for the future. Right. Whereas, you know, compared to like a tertiary market, whereas pr- previously I would have went to that tertiary market to get, uh, a higher yield to to get cash flow. So there's like, even today I look at land where you know ten years ago I would tell you ten reasons why I wouldn't buy land, but uh, I today I would definitely consider land banking as well. So I hate to interrupt, but uh, there seems to be a motorcade coming up the driveway here. Uh, it's a number of uh, black Suburbans, and there seems to be a Cadillac in the middle with flags. It appears our co-host has joined us, Erica Spencer, from her uh, worldly travels. Maybe she can tell us where she's uh, where she's been. Not even funny. <laughs> Hi, guys. Hi. <laughs> How are you? Awesome, thanks. You? Podcast, oh, it's a podcast. We're not allowed to talk. Okay. I would like um, JD to kind of outline how you've carved out a separate section of the market um, in a sense. So when you look for properties, like you, you kind of look for something that not everyone is looking for. Maybe you can walk us through that because you and I talk a lot about your selections and I chirp you a lot of the time, but I feel like you are definitely on a track and carving out kind of a niche market for yourselves in terms of choosing properties. Yeah. So I, I definitely like properties that are undervalued and if they're in rough shape, there's a, there's the potential to build a lot of equity. So finding properties that you can fix up like that, that's been just the cornerstone, uh, you know, for, how we've acquired property because today they're actually more, there's a lot more competition in that space. But in previous years, we found that that was a space where not too many people wanted to venture. A lot of people were getting involved that were getting involved in real estate. were looking at turnkey, you know, nice, perfect properties. And, you know, if there was a property that was, uh, you know, really, really rough shape, you know, we look at it as the opportunity, like, uh, sort of like looking at the start market, the bottom of the market just seems to pull up a lot faster than the, uh, the top of the market. And at the end of the day, it's like, as we go through like corrections, like we've seen in the past year, it's the market that still uh, kind of stands the strongest. That, that that's kind of the thought process behind why we played in that space. You didn't say the, the tagline that I was looking for. What, just good enough? Good enough, yes. You don't yeah. over... I always think about that when I'm shopping with investors that are like, oh, we're going to put 
granite countertops and, and, you know, like in floor heating, like, no, 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 like tenants don't need that. They need laundry, maybe a dishwasher. Um, like those are simple frills, right? I always think back to you saying, no, no, it just has to be good enough, right? It has to be better than where they lived before. So yeah, I heed, like I heed your advice. To, yeah. We used to try to compete in that best in class space and that's, that's really a price uh, competitive and at the same time, like a, a lot of maintenance as well. But in, but one of the things, if you look at the supply and demand, what people are really, you know, the big need in the market is affordable housing. So if you can not put in that granite and you, you can be in the right, you know, like good, good enough neighborhoods that are eventually on the outskirts of really good neighborhoods, you're gonna, you know, get a good tenant. You're gonna get. Uh, you know, you're going to fill a demand that's like highly needed at this time. And uh, it, 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 it just worked out really well for us. And usually that property is at a different price point than a property that may warrant a granite counter. Top. Yeah, I feel like you guys have definitely done um, really well in terms of like buying low and, and holding on and then, you know, seeing that appreciation, seeing that you've been in St. Catharines, you said, for eight years, which is longer than anyone I know. <laughs> so that means you're doing extremely well, which is always awesome to see. Um, and it, it's nice that you have Wendy kind of by your side and she puts up with your, um, how should we put this? I don't even know. Um just you in general, right? Like, I mean, you and Wendy are a really good team. <laughs> Can I use that? She's like, Wendy's on the call too. You need to include her. I'm like, okay. <laughs> oh. You know what it is? You know, because, you know, JD is like, he is the idea generator. That's what, like, I just let him, I've just embraced that. And then all he does is like, what about this? What about this? What about this? And I'm like, you know what? Like, this is your strength. I'm not going to bash this. But there's times where I'm like, okay, I have to actually tell them. I'm like, I-, I can't deal with this now because I've got like 39 bank accounts that I have to manage. And I love the idea, but I know that in order for that idea to come true or to actually work, there's a lot of work that I have to do. So I'm like, I just, I'm at capacity at certain points. But I, I love the, his, uh, I love his ambition, his dreams and yeah, it's great. <laughs> Definitely has awesome ideas. I'll, I'll give him that much for sure. And it's always good for a conversation. You just have to carve out, you know, at least 30 minutes when you're calling JD because he's got so many great ideas to discuss <laughs> all the time, which is awesome. Um, okay, so just switching gears, I mean, we've talked a little bit about your own portfolio and the properties you're investing in, but a large part of what you do today um, is investing in real estate without being an actual landlord. And I think some people may scratch their head about that. Can you walk us through what that looks like and, and kind of how you got into that uh, space? Absolutely. So what you're referring to is just simply like private lending and putting out money secured to real estate. And uh, how we got into that was oh, like also back 15 years ago, we got introduced to a broker uh, that taught us about private lending. And we just put out money back in the day at, and learned about, and, you know, took the time to learn about it. We, we, we did get burned a bit when we got a little, maybe in my like early 20s, I, I probably, you know, thought I was invincible and can took more risk than necessary. But we've come back to the space, and it's a space that I think that we both love, and we do look at it as our, like, our end goal uh, of where we, where we see ourselves uh, being you know, the business that you can run from the beach where all you got to do is have a, you know, an internet connection and a a lawyer (laughs) and a phone, but an internet connection will do. So how we got, uh, so I kind of talked about how we got into space. And so what basically today, uh, we have the mortgage business and most private lending is done through mortgage brokerages. Uh, Mortgage brokers typically, have investors and clients that are looking for private money. Private money can be used for, you know, anything from like, you know, someone who may have some challenges in the bank, quick fix, or like investors. Uh, so that's that's the people that use it, and I think that's how we work with it today because we do have the mortgage business, and we now do put out our own funds and a lot of our uh, lending partners as well. Is that? 
Does that answer the question? Yeah, for sure. So, but how did you make the shift from being the landlord to kind of playing the role of the bank? Like, don't, do you typically need a lot of money to do that? To be honest, you do, right? It, it, like, uh, by having properties for the amount of time and the amount of properties, there's like, so, like some of those properties that we spoke about from the eight years ago, we've never refinanced them. And so ultimately our goal is to just pull lines of credit and use that capital for a yield business, right? And that's where lending comes into play. Um, you can lend with low amounts of money. It's, it just depends ultimately what your goal is, right? Because if I said to you, if you have $100,000 and we were going to make 10% on that money by lending it out, $10,000 probably wouldn't change, wouldn't make the same impact in someone's life if they were looking to grow their money uh, today as it would if you had $10 million and you were yielding 10%, that $1 million would do phenomenal for someone's life. And we kind of like looked at owning real estate as the growth and look at lending as the best place to get the best yield and return on that money. So, that, so we're just shifting it that way. No, that's cool. So you're basically setting up a bank account on each of your properties and that's kind of where you're accessing some of the funds to do the private Absolutely. lending. Okay, cool. What about like RSPs too? Because that's yeah. the other thing too. Like, um, I think one of the things too that that is 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 getting more um, popular is taking advantage of your own RSPs or liras or tax free savings accounts, which a lot of people have. Um, and, and but they're they're trusting them in the hands of an advisor, whereas you can actually use those funds to to lend out and make your own yields, whether it all goes back to the RSP or registered investment, or if you know, you actually uh, take some of the money for cash flow. So there's different different ways of using those types of funds too to get get started, or even just in the background for for long term growth. Absolutely. And we let we use that too. We've got those as well. So um, JD, I know that when we talk about deals and and um, stuff that you're working on, it's always like unique cases, right? So people that maybe uh, don't qualify with the bank or kind of is like a last resort type of scenario and, and working with someone like you is definitely helpful for those type of people because you have like umpteen creativeness when it comes to putting deals together and just making them work. Um, so a question would be like what type of due diligence are you doing when someone approaches um, to invest in these deals? I know there's a lot of background uh, that you need to get through so just kind of outline that for us. Yeah like high level like if we're looking at like the applicant it's just like just like the bank, you know, taking an application, verifying um, that information, whether it's income, if, if we are looking to do a qualification or if that's a criteria for the investor, we're doing appraisals, you know, confirming the value, you know, confirming any encumbrances that are currently on the property. And we're looking at, a, like, overall, it, it's a, a giant salary test. You know, most of my investors that are coming in that are lending in, or ourselves, we just want to know really two things. One, is it realistic for you to pay us back? And two, if something does go wrong, is our money protected? Well, so that's, you know, and we're taking those two, two key points and breaking them down and then ensuring that, you know, we can give our investors or ourselves or any of our lending partners that come in and join in with us. The, the most uh, security and the, to make the best informed decision that, that that we can provide them. So, J.D., talk to us a little bit about how people are finding you, right? Because I know you kind of made the move into, uh, you know, mortgage lending uh, a few years ago. But, I mean, I think, it, as Erica mentioned, a lot of the deals you have, people are, are coming to you, and they're, they're rather unique situations. So how are people finding you? Um, in terms of kind of what you're doing, but whether it's through you know traditional lending or through private lending. So, so when you refer to the people that are finding you, speaking of the investors that are investing in the deals or the borrowers. Uh, well, I guess it's both, right? Because I think uh, you know, I mean, we've worked with you 
uh, on a deal where where uh, we had a unique situation and uh, you were able to kind of pull things together. But uh, you have a pretty really unique situation because that was extremely unique. Oh, sorry, I, I, the microphone is being pulled away from me. No, I just said describe the direness of the situation because people don't understand like the magic that JD can do. Like, so we called JD with I think two or three days notice and we needed $460,000 to close the deal. And he was like, yeah, no problem. Give me a couple, a couple hours. I'll send you the form and like call him cool collected. Meanwhile, I was nine months pregnant and freaking out. And JD like literally came through within, I think within 20 hours, um, had the money lined up. So, I mean, that, that's craziness to be able to pull that off. And people don't even understand the extent to which these deals can happen. I mean, you pay more for the money, but um, you you save people from, from crazy, you know, peril situations, basically. No, you're, you're still crazy. It's okay. <laughs> there you go. He can have back now. Oh, sorry. I, I've got the mic back. So the question's been answered for me uh, to you, J.D., so I hope that answers your question. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so are we still at the the finding like yeah how are these people find how are these people finding you yeah would you like the question restated by erica to you jd no no uh the people so borrowers find me in the traditional means uh you know we do we do advertising uh you know they're Anyone that's going to, like, from a client standpoint, that's uh, that's how someone can find me, whether it's, you know, website, flyers. We, we do all the traditional marketing. And then the next layer would be our word-of-mouth network. And today, a lot of our, like, mortgage business actually comes in from broker referrals themselves. Uh, we've come to be known as, people that can solve those problems really quickly as Erica mentioned. So there are brokers that will just bring their unique situations in and we were able to help them as well. And in terms of lenders, it, it, it's very similar. We don't advertise uh, for lenders. We, we do have our real estate club as well. That's also where some people find out about us as well, but investors find us there. Investors also very much is a very tight knit community. Like I would say birds of a feather uh, kind of scenario. Like most of the times, like if you have an investor who's got one or $2 million, chances are if he's had some success with you, he's referring a friend and saying, Hey, you know, this guy can move some money for you. If, and you know, his friend is also probably has that kind of money in his registered accounts or discretionary funds. And uh, that's where it's a lot of it is word of mouth too. So, so JD, when it comes to the, the money lending and the, and the mortgage broker, like why did you choose to go this route? I mean, you obviously you've got your hooks into a lot of properties, but why this route now? Is it, is it a case of it's easier, less headaches, more profitable? Like what, what's, what drew you to it? So what drew me to the mortgage business was it be, with the, the type of portfolio that we had, it was difficult for people to understand uh, when you go to try to get financing. So even before being in the mortgage business, I, when I was working with the brokers, I wanted to understand those numbers. That's how we ended up in the bank happens because the broker had told me about it. So once I learned about it, I had an interest in it. And it just made sense for me that if I was going to continue to buy real estate, that I would you know, learn and understand how to do it myself and be able to help the people in my network because, you know, there's people that say, oh, you know, I'm tapped out at two or three properties. And I'm like, that's not possible. Like, you know, there's, there's reasons why people think they're tapped out, but there are so many ways to get funding, even from like institutional lenders that, so it was a problem that needed to be solved. And that's how we got the mortgage business started. And then, obviously enjoying the business because it's tied to real estate and I'm a bit of a numbers guy as well. And yeah, I, I, I'd say, um, Wendy's laughing in the background here. A bit of a, okay. So when JD says I'm a bit of a numbers guy, it's like every day, like I've been doing some calculations and, or I've been thinking and I've come up with a new formula for, and it's always numbers. Him, if JD could have a calculator in every single area that he sits in the house, 
I think that would be a seven. That's hilarious. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> to, to, to finish the tail end of that question, <laughs> the mortgage business and then transitioning into the lending business, uh, the lending business, I looked at kind of like the way I looked at the real estate investing business. It was going to be a part of how we were going to, uh, like an investment that we were going to move towards retirement with as the mortgage business is just an active income business. Right. Very cool. Uh, he handed the phone to me because apparently I stole his question, so now it's my turn again. <laughs> oh, it's okay. It's like Jay has the microphone in his mouth. You're a much better speaker. It's always your turn. He says it's always my turn. You know, you guys always rib me for not showing up to these, and when I come, you just make fun of me the whole time. So really, it's not really encouraging. It's for ratings. <laughs> So how are you guys securing your investments? Um, like, I mean, is there is there ever a fear that you won't recoup your investment? I mean, you know, we know that we're kind of, you're securing on title. So, I mean, is there, are you ever worried? Or, I mean, JD doesn't seem like one to worry. He's very calm, cool, and collected, as we can see by his answer so far. But is there ever a time that you would worry that you might not get paid back? Wendy? Um, I guess I would be more the worrier on the team. Um, but, you know, I know. I think when we, like, I guess first started lending, you know, back, what, I don't know, 15 years ago, um, there were a couple of deals that were actually, it was just like one real deal that we got burned really bad on, like really bad. And that, you know, that was kind of a, it was a setback, definitely. Um, so I think now with the deals that we do, there's, we always keep that in the mind that, you know, how are, how is our investment secured? I don't think we've ever lend that much before either, and we we're smarter now. So, you know, if we do get burned, it's, you know, I, you know, I, yeah, I guess to go back on that, you know, I, I'm not too worried because the types of deals like JD knows what he's doing, and there will be times where he does take risks that you know I'm I'm not super comfortable with, but at the same time, the amount of money for the amount of risk that's weighed in our kind of our, our discussions and it's like you know what it's it's most of the time it's worth it and if not we've got some really good lawyers on our side that that can work with us too so yeah so the worries we've kind of like mitigated that risk in terms of of our the people that are on our team and the return of the investment yeah i think what people um like when you first started explaining like i was explaining private lending tonight to a couple clients and um, explained to them that they could lend like registered funds and how it works, and they both just looked horrified. And I was like, "But you're secured on title, so at the end of the day, like you can drive past the house that your funds are secured against, right?" So I mean, it it really is a very stable form of investing in real estate, um, and it has great returns compared to other methods of investing. So I mean, we feel the same way that your gains far outweigh the risk, but obviously there are situations like you described that, you know, don't always end so well and you learn and you get better and um, just kind of move on, right? Yeah, and I do say the people that are lending, like if, if, you're, if you're lending your registered investment, like obviously you want to be a little more cautious with that because, you know, there's a reason why you have an RSP. It's more for a future. So you don't necessarily want to take as many risks with those types of um, funds. But, I mean, if it's like cash you got, um, you know, you could have to put it in the stock market and, you know, like me, there's not knowing exactly what I'm doing. Or you can put it towards a, a, a property and you've got the security still, too. I think JD was going to add something on that. No? Okay. <laughs> um, okay. So, I mean, based on that, like, you guys are doing a lot, right? And I think, uh, you know, may kind of uh, be intimidating to some of the newer investors listening. But, um, you know, you've dabbled into a little bit of everything. You're into flips. You're doing bright buying holds, you're doing private lending. With all of this, what would you say uh, is the uh, biggest challenge you've had to overcome? At what point? (laughs) (laughs) Great question. But we ask the questions on this show, so I'm sorry I can't answer it. (laughs) I think maybe the biggest challenge for us is um, saying no. Like, you know, there's a lot of good opportunities and prioritizing them like this year based on like, so, like some of the new projects we've been taking on, we've had to like cut something out. Like, you know, bandwidth isn't there. So we decided that like we, we stopped 
doing as many flips and we've lowered that number and we're probably not, I don't see ourselves doing the same, like the same size of flip in the near future, just based on what time we have available and for the the reward and is there a better use of time? So I think, yeah, I, I think it's just, there's so many deals out there that it's just hard to say no. Yeah. I think I know for, for more recently for me, the biggest challenge was, you know, realizing that I am probably not the best person to manage for like being active with the project. And I think it comes back to that time factor too. So I think when, now that we're, we've got discussions with uh, an actual construction company to go and open up a corporation together where we provide the money, they do the work and we split it. So it's, everyone's kind of working at their area of expertise. So, you know, we'll go, we'll see the property at the start and I don't want to see the property until it's done. So, you know, I don't want the headaches in between like what I got stuck with last night in Hamilton. I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm done with that. <laughs> so it's, it's, yeah, it's a learning experience all the time, but yeah, it's time. And that's why I've been cutting down my hours too at the nursing home. I, I physically can't do it. And, and the return on investment is a lot higher in what we're doing on our own versus at the job. The time of the nursing home is starting to cost you money on your, on your projects. Well, you know, it's funny because they're like, when are you leaving? I'm like, you know, it's a relationship. Like the, the, I, they've been great to me. So, you know, at the same time, what I do with them there, it's, it's kind of on my own time. And I don't, I don't know if I'll ever leave, leave because of, I know Jamie's laughing. Um, just because of that relationship that I have with a lot of the staff there and even the owner of the nursing home. Um, but because I can fit, you know, maybe the, you know, four to eight hours of my week to do what is necessary so that, you know, I don't know. We'll see. Give me another uh, 12 months and we'll see. <laughs> okay, which leads us into the fire round, which uh, hopefully you were warned a little bit about that there are a series of questions we ask pretty much every guest that we have on, but you just happen to mention one of them. And the first one is, where do you guys see yourself in the next 12 months? Um, well, I think JD's going to own a bank. <laughs> that's the goal. That's on the wall. Um, yeah, I, I, I feel like we'll have a few other corporations underway. And, and one of them being that flip uh, renovation project business with, uh, with the other, with their con- construction company. Um, JD's going to continue with his lending with his partner. And that's going to be uh, up and running. Actually, it's almost up and running now. So, I mean, he's kind of ahead of his goals right now. Um, I-, I would say still doing what we're doing because we're, we're kind of like, we like this chase. That's not, there's nothing wrong we're with that. We're building more. Nothing yeah. wrong with that. Um, when it comes to real estate itself, where do you see the market in the next 12 months? <sighs> I-, I still see the market in a very similar place. Um it's tough because the bond rates are the, the long and short are getting uh, really close. So when that happens, that, that could be an economic downturn, but I, I, I just don't see it for us based on, you know, a number of factors in the, the greater Toronto or greater golden horseshoe area. Um, you know, when I look at developments and what's going on, so I, I don't, I, I see us, staying relatively flat and similar to the position we're in today. I don't see another correction and I don't see us going back to where we were. You know, the trajectory is moving high. I see relatively flat, slightly up. The next question is, who do you learn from? Everyone. (laughs) Yep. There's something to learn from. Everybody brings a unique story. They're on their own journey. They have something to share. I, it's a great picture. I, I, like I learn from every person I meet. Okay. And what are you currently reading or slash listening to podcasts? Because it is 20. more 2018, yes. <laughs> um, I'm reading uh, the Elon Musk book and uh, a book by Dan Sullivan called uh, The Laws of Lifetime Growth. And JD? So I'm not, I, I recently, uh, I would say I'm not finished it, but I was uh, reading The Richest Man in Babylon again. 
uh, Tools of Titan from uh, Tim Ferriss. I, I often, you know, go in and out of that book. Uh, just, it's a great, great read. And uh, I was in the, the Compound Effect uh, recently as well. And that's probably one of my favorite books. I've read it a few times now. And I think that's all I'm reading. Oh, no, I'm also reading Brady's book on, like, fitness and health. I admire both of you, the fact that you guys are reading, because right now I'm reading Amelia Bedelia. <laughs> Tough crowd tonight, so. <laughs> Anyways, if you could do one thing differently in the past year, what would it have been? Nothing. And this is like stellar record-breaking year for me. I mean... Like the tough thing about like I get this I get questions like this often like hey what do you regret what do you and like even in the things that didn't work out they just give you opportunities like recently we had a, a setback we were uh, getting ready to launch an income fund with some of our, our contacts downtown and they had asked that we put that on delay till January we had been working on this for a few months and. Uh, we took the summer off and both parties were just, uh, you know, just wanted to use that time for family. And then when we came back to the drawing board, it was, you know, it wasn't the right time for the other side. And that, that um, missed opportunity led us to go out, look harder and create new solutions and scenarios that I would say that we're in even a better spot. So when we hit January, with that income fund, we, we still have, uh, we still have that, but we're even in a better spot. So I, I really like where we are today. And I do find that anything that goes wrong happens sort of, you know, not to sound too like fluffy, but for a reason. And you can use that to, to, to push. Like we don't, uh, when I was in the, in a sales role, when we were hitting budgets and breaking records, we we didn't look for off, you know how to get better, uh, but only when you know you're you're facing adversity do you look to challenge yourself to grow. So I, I just really like the year we're having. But I was gonna say anything, maybe a little more organized or maybe a little bit more on health. But I don't know if I would do anything differently. No, that's that's great. Um, okay, and just and last but not least. Um, you know, I'll throw this out to both of you because you'll probably both have, um, you know, unique answers. But what advice would you give those sitting on the fence just watching you? And what would you say to them about uh, jumping into real estate investing? I, I guess, I mean, the people at work know what I do. Like when I go into the nursing, I'm like, a lot of them know what I do. And a lot of them ask me questions. And it's coming down. They want to get started in real estate. They don't know what they want to do. It's really getting their mindset right and making sure that they understand like, you know, what is your why is, is what you're doing right now going to provide you the lifestyle that you want. And if it's not, you know, real estate is a phenomenal avenue because there's so many ways to leverage it. And it's not just the one, you know, buy a rental property and sit on it, collect rent and deal with all the headaches that, you know, are there. It's realizing that, you know, if you've got money sitting around, you can lend it. If you've got money sitting around, you know, you can you can join venture, you can buy your own property. There's so many things that you can do. Um, but knowing your why and really just I think getting started is in 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 what, you know, they might feel most comfortable in and just really do it. It's it's I feel like that lack of action and that what is that? Um when people just sit around not taking action. Procrastination, yeah. analysis paralysis. Analysis paralysis was the term I was looking for. It, it's, you know, that I feel is a, what people are, are facing. And it's, you know, they want to have all their ducks in a row before they get started. It's, you know, the biggest duck to get in a row is why. Why are you doing it? What do you want from it? And find that investment or find that, that group of people that can actually help you solve that why. I think uh, I think you touched on a couple of good points there, like with the analysis paralysis or you know the overthinking. But it it really at the end of the day, people. What would I want to give them as advice? Not to confuse the simplicity of owning and operating a real estate investment business with the complexity and never-ending journey of growing themselves and not confusing those two because 
real estate investing isn't like rocket science or anything. In fact, it, it's pretty straightforward when you you know you get into it, and a lot of the things that come into like you know the things, the obstacles that stop people are typically self-imposed, like you know uh, fear. Uh, a lot of people use excuses of time, but these are all just self-limiting beliefs or education. But real estate investing itself isn't that much, isn't that complicated. But I think working on yourself and, and just not confusing that those two things when you know taking that next step. Yeah, no, I mean that's that's great advice from both of you, just in terms of kind of um, you know really what's holding you back, right? And I think a lot of it is fear, right? And and you got both kind of hit on the analysis paralysis. The first deal is always the hardest, right? But once you're in it and doing it on a regular basis, it becomes less and less challenging. Um, so, Wendy, J.D., on behalf of the Real Estate Investors Lounge, we want to thank you for taking some time tonight to uh, to tell your story. And, I mean, you guys have a great story in terms of kind of what you've accomplished, um, you know, in in a very short period. Um, and and the work that you're doing in terms of uh, you know both uh, investing uh, and and lending. So uh, if we could, uh, what I'd like to do if if we can uh, share your contact information in our show notes. Um, if people are interested in getting in touch with you, uh, that would be uh, that would be great. Awesome. Thank you so much for having us. And yeah, that's fine. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Awesome. Thanks very much, right. guys. Thank All you. right. Thanks, Have guys. Take care. Bye-bye.